We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 247. This time around, you are joined by the legendary Kane Hodder. The horror icon tells us all about his latest film, The Hilarious and Gory Knife Corp, where he steps out from behind the mask and makeup to take on a gang of persistent door-to-door salespeople. Hear about how he created the unforgettable new character, Angus Finn, and coloring the performance with emotion and comedy. We also discuss his legacy crafting stunts for the most impactful moments in Hollywood history and some of his many storied moments as Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th franchise. Hear his thoughts about sequel rumors and much more. Episode 247 is now slaying. We don't sell knives. We sell ourselves. Like prostitution. Now when I look out at this group, Recent high school graduates, some 11th graders who just got their parents' permission. Can I help you with something? When I hold up this potato carver plus in front of me, what's the first thing you see? A knife. Okay. But what specifically? A virgin holding a knife. I don't see salespeople and saleswomen, of course. I see business owners. I see entrepreneurs. I see the future leaders of this generation. I'm just gonna knock on the door and calmly explain the situation, ask for my knives back. What's the worst that can happen? From my experience, you could possibly get stabbed. Stop! That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a multi-award winning actor, producer, and stunt person. He is a man who overcame insurmountable odds, as chronicled in his best-selling autobiography, Unmasked in 2011, and the documentary film To Hell and Back, to become not only one of the most iconic figures in the horror genre, but a massive part of the fabric of pop culture and cinematic history. He continues to achieve that through his fearless dedication, talent, and bold creativity. His storied career goes back to being stunt coordinator for luminaries like Wes Craven, to the expert Hollywood would call when they wanted to bring excitement to beloved Emmy-winning TV shows. Going back to Days of Our Lives and Who's the Boss, he crafted the insanity of Fred Decker's House franchise in 85 and the Waxwork movies, eventually being cast as Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 7. A trajectory that spawned four films in the series more than anyone else ever in that role and is responsible for etching the character 
into the cultural zeitgeist. This is due to the intelligence and thought he brought to intent and motivation in a non-speaking role that is unabashedly brilliant. In developing a reverence for Jason, so did we. Since then, he continued breathing life into villainous icons, from Leatherface to Hatchet's Victor Crowley, bringing with him the highest on-screen body count of anyone in history. He's acted in over 140 projects, including Pumpkinhead 2, Wishmaster, Shed of the Dead, celebrated TV shows, Walker, Texas Ranger, Charmed, Star Trek, and more, all the while continuing to create the stunts that made films famous, like Batman Forever, Seven, Spawn, Lethal Weapon, Gone in 60 Seconds, The Devil's Rejects. The list is astonishing and glorious. His latest follows a group of young door-to-door salespeople who mistakenly decide to peddle their wares to a dangerous recluse who just might have other uses for their products. Directed by Zach Sorbagrashen, the film is Knife Corp. A time of release available now on digital and on demand. We are honored to welcome his star, the amazing Kane Hodder. Yeah! Wow. Wow. That is quite an intro. Thank you. Somebody did a lot of homework there. (laughs) This guy right here. Wow. We are massive fans, man, and this is a a long time coming for us, and we are so excited, and this film is such an awesome other side of you. That was so refreshing and fun to watch, and we can't wait to talk about it. Just starting at the beginning, man, you're a part of so many people's love affair, including ours, with the horror genre. Starting off for you, what was your earliest experience with the genre yourself as a viewer? What do you remember horror films making you feel like? Well, there are two really notable films in my life that made such an impact. One, when I was a kid, The Birds scared the hell out of me, and I never wanted to look at a bird for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have any ideas of what I was going to do with my life. I was just a kid getting scared by birds. I still have that image of that person with their eyes pecked out by the birds. Oh, my God. That stayed with me for a long time. But beyond that, I started getting the idea of the dream of doing stunts for a living. Because I would, as you know, I would do crazy things to scare and entertain my friends, very dangerous things. And I just thought it was entertaining for me to see their reactions to the crazy things I would do. So around that time I was in college, that's when The Exorcist came out. And that movie is still my all-time favorite film, regardless of genre, but because it was so, such untouched subject matter and for someone to make a film about something like that at that time was just astounding to me that it could have that kind of impact still a good movie how many movies from that era can you watch these days and and not laugh at the production quality or the the acting or something even the makeup effects you know it just it's still a great movie and I love it. So right around shortly after that is when I decided to drop out of college, not get my degree and uh, go all out to trying to be a stuntman. And, you know, I went to a stunt school. Interestingly enough, there was only like, I think seven students in the stunt school in Santa Monica at the time. 
And one of the other students was Tom Morga, who also played Jason in part five. It wasn't really Jason, but it was Jason. And I think that's amazing that seven students, two of them went on to play Jason. And so, you know, I've known Tom since 1975, before I even got into the Screen Actors Guild. And, you know, I just uh, started very slowly doing stunts and uh, enjoying every single time I got a job. I just loved being on the set and doing something dangerous and, you know, doing doing dangerous things and getting paid for it. What? I didn't know that was possible. I was just doing dangerous things for my own entertainment. And then I thought, you know, people get paid well for this. So why don't we try it? And it took forever to really start making a living doing stunts and probably eight years before I could say I was a working stuntman and making a living. And right at the time that I met my wife, Susan, is when my career started to really go. And and you referred to the house films. The first house film was uh, the year that we met. And I guess you could say that, uh, you know, that's kind of an omen. If you meet your fu- future wife and then your career takes off, something good is happening. So once I did house and I coordinated it and, you know, did a couple things on camera as well, and I think uh, I think I'm with Bill Cat either this weekend or oh no way very soon. oh that's great so yeah I, I actually <laughs> it's hard to imagine but I actually stunt doubled him in a couple scenes well I wanted to ask oh, about because wow. um, among you know uh, as well as with the Friday the Thirteenth films one of the first horror film experiences that we've had and people of our age have had is through the video store aisles in one of those movies like you said House. You see that video cover, that disembodied hand and the doorbell. That was the one everybody was renting. And who can forget that? And uh, Steve Miner won Critics' Choice Awards for that film. There was tons of monsters, 17 special effects artists, all these creatures. And it was a horror comedy. what about the cast? Right, yeah. George Wendt. Oh, my God. It was incredible. What was that experience like for you, just kind of being around that level of ambitious creativity and seeing the insides of a production like that? I don't think I appreciated it at the time because I didn't know enough about the genre to realize the amazing people I was working with other than Steve. And, you know, uh, he obviously had a history in the Friday the 13th franchise. And then it was something that I just loved doing it. But I don't think I realized how lucky I was at the time. And, uh, to continue doing all of the house films, which I did number three being the horror show actually, but I did all four of the house films with Sean. And, uh, it was, it was amazing to, to think that I was working with the guy that created Friday the 13th, basically Sean. And just three years later would be playing that character. And, you know, it, you, you already know, but I'll make it quick how that happened. I, I worked uh, on a movie with uh, John Beekler as stunt coordinator on a movie called Prison. And I did all the stunts and 
almost everything by myself because we didn't have the budget to fly too many stunt people in. We we're up in Wyoming. And uh, I, John Beekler asked me if I wanted to do a makeup and play a character in extensive makeup. And I said, yeah, I've never really done it. So I wore an entire latex bodysuit, pieces, prosthetics that took three and a half hours to put on. And I loved working in it. It's very difficult. People that have never done it have no clue how incredibly difficult it is just to live in that makeup, but then also to perform and make it interesting. And um, the following year, John Beekler was hired to direct Friday the 13th, part seven, and said, this is the guy I want to play Jason. And they're like, well, we don't know who he is. And John kept fighting and fighting and fighting Paramount, saying, no, you got to trust me. This is the guy. And they were very hesitant, but finally agreed with him that I would play the character. And, and obviously the rest is history. And, and because of playing that character, I met Adam Green and did the Hatchet films. And that's what I love so much about Knife Corp is that it's, it's very much like the Hatchet films in the way that you can incorporate comedy into the film but not at the expense of it still being scary. And that's a tough line to walk. And Zach did it in Knife Corp. And I, I, when I first read the, the script, I was like, this is a cool character because I can be kind of funny, kind of. And then still violent as hell. So <laughs> tell us about how Zach approached you. It was through various channels. But once I saw the script, I just said, wait a minute, this, I got to do this with you. I don't really care about the budget and all that. It's just, just an interesting character. And, and, you know, he, he wanted me in it because of the, the history that I have, I guess, but also must have been confident enough in the fact that I could pull off some comic stuff. And uh, I just appreciated that he had that confidence in me and wanted to do everything I could for the film. The cast is great. Most of my scenes are with uh, Austin Kuhlman, who plays Wally. He's, he's very good. I mean, the whole cast was great and it was just a pleasure to do the film. And I'm just excited that it's getting a nice release and uh, for people to see another side of me kind of, and uh, you know, to see a fun, scary at times movie. One of the things I loved about Knife Corp was the house. I love houses. And that was a really cool house. Where was that located? Oh, God, you're putting me on the spot now. Uh, I don't remember where it was, but it reminds me of what you have in the background. It's a beautiful old historic house. Were any sets created for the film or was it actually all shot on one practical location? Uh, most of it was uh, the practical location, which obviously lends itself to being more authentic. It's hard to find a house in L.A. with character that hasn't been already shot. You can't really find a house anywhere else that has that character. So we were lucky to, to be there. 
You're responsible for some of the best stunts in horror history, and in this film, you're playing a loving, protective father, yet you turn on the rage in an instant for some great struggle or kill. What was your favorite scene to shoot in Knife Corp? Uh, Honestly, it sounds self-serving, but there's not one single scene that I point out as being my favorite. It was just the entire process. I really enjoyed being on the set every day, regardless of the scene. So there's not really anything I pinpoint that I really, really liked. It's just the whole the whole thing. I just think it's a, a fun film. The Boo Crew will be right back. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Friday the 13th is a story of madness carried beyond its limit. It is a film that is not recommended for the very young or for people who are prone to nightmares. Friday the 13th, you may only see it once, but that will be enough. Friday the 13th, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. Since this film does such a wonderful job at showcasing all these different elements of your acting chops, you do a lot of heavy lifting dramatically. As Leo said, it's a story about family and this father and loss and regret. And you get to spar comically with Wally as he tries to sell you these knives. Was there a challenge for you? When it came to bringing the script to life in these ways, was there a challenge to pulling off the subtlety of the humor? That journey for you as an actor, was any of that different for you to step up to? It was, of course, because I'm someone that does horribly violent things to people almost every film I ever do. And I don't really ever get to do emotion or comedy. You know, now that you reminded me of that first scene, Saul and the Knives, that if there's a favorite scene, that probably is it. But as I said, the whole thing, it was fun for me. You know, I'm not a trained actor. I never have had any acting training at all. So I've always attributed, if I have any abilities in that regard, that it's from watching amazing actors work. Because... One of the best things about being a stunt coordinator on a film is that, first of all, you're, you're lining up all the fun stuff, in my opinion, and doing it yourself and hiring the other people to do whatever you are not able to do uh, because of the character. But the other plus is that I have a lot of idle time on the set. And whereas a lot of stunt people would just be outside trying to impress each other with stunt stories. I prefer to sit on the set just off to the side and observe an actor at work, someone who 
whom I admire their talent. Now I feel like it's a, a huge honor to be able to sit and watch them. And because everybody else on the set has a job to do every shot, they can't really do that. But if there's no stunts involved for a couple of hours, I can just sit there and watch people and to watch someone prepare for a scene and then deliver that scene. And the one that I always really refer to is Charlize Theron uh, when we were doing Monster. And I'm the stunt coordinator. I, I played the cop that arrested her at the end, but most of the time there weren't, weren't too many big stunts and I could watch, just observe her just off to the side, very being very unobtrusive so that I didn't distract her or anything, but just subtly watching how she prepares and she wins an Oscar for the role. And, you know, oddly enough on the set, that was a small movie too. I think we only shot for four weeks, the entire film, but from almost the beginning, people were saying she's going to win an Oscar for this. And other people would say, ah, it's too small of a movie. Not enough people will see it. Sure enough, she did. And I loved her immersion into the character where she, she didn't do makeup. She wore dentures, but no prosthetics or anything and looked pretty haggard at times. And that was just all acting no help with prosthetic makeup or anything other than the, the dentures to make her teeth not look great. But it, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. If I have any acting ability, it's because of people like her just being able to watch them. When you talk about that and you talk about, like we said earlier, being able to convey intent and emotion when your face is obscured, everybody's you know number one weapon to convey that is obscured number one and number two being your facial expressions and your voice neither one of those can you use in a role like jason so i think that a lot of people when faced with that challenge tend to overact well i can't use my face or my voice so what do i do and then it the, the body movements and things to me look a little staged or phony, like you're trying too hard. So I always tried to do things. I would stand in the mirror in makeup for a long time before a scene, just doing things and see if, seeing if it, you know, being very critical of myself, seeing if it looked believable and not like I was acting. That was my whole goal was to, perform and not look like I was trying to perform. And that's, that's how I just in my uh, dressing room one day in the full makeup early on in the Friday, the 13th part seven, I looked and I tried the breathing thing that I, you know, with this slight breathing up and down to me, when I would look at myself, I thought, oh, God, that looks like he's about to explode, even though he's not moving hardly. So it's just little things like that that I tried to incorporate into the character. And I never I didn't want to 
totally uh, ignore previous guys' performances because some of them did pretty well, I think. I, I liked CJ's performance. Ted White was great. And even Brooker, I thought, was was really interesting. And that was way, way before the character was as known as it is. So, you know, each successive film, you know, who's ever playing the character has a lot more pressure because everybody knows the character and the history. Now let's see how this person does it. So it's uh it's, it's a fun process, but, and I love, do I have to watch my language? No, no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's good. Because I love killing motherfuckers. <laughs> yes. And, and, yes. But, but when you get a movie where you get to do that, but then some other stuff like, kind of be funny and lighthearted and even emotional for some reason I've always, and maybe this makes me sound like a little bitch, but I've always been able to cry on cue and boy, that some people just find that so incredibly difficult that you're in a scene, all these people are working around you. Okay. Quiet roll camera action and now you have to be emotional man that that is can be very daunting but for some reason that part of it was never that difficult for me obviously it's not difficult for me to be violent and the comedy uh, is just fun and challenging in its own right because some people think they are hilarious and they're actually fucking stupid. Uh, but, and I won't name any names, no. Um, going back to Friday the 13th, uh, recently Prop Store had an auction and a screen matched uh, Jason Goes to Hell mask sold for over $200,000, which is insane to me. Did you keep any masks? Just curious. We love props. I kept the hero mask from every movie. Yes. That's what I want to hear. Because that, that one you're referring to the special effects guy on that movie, Tom Bellissimo had to have a mask that he could rig a, a bullet hit in the forehead. So he, you know, it little explosive charge. There's a quick shot where the I'm ambushed by all the SWAT and they're firing at me. And you see me go, bam, and you see that there's a bullet hole in the mask now. So that is the only shot I wore that mask in. And it sold for that kind of money, which is astounding to me. But it was screen worn by me as Jason in the movie. So, I mean, it is valuable. I had signed it for him and he sold it. So that's how much it meant to him. Yeah, Tom, talking about you. But yeah, I, I I kept all kinds of stuff. I kept my leather face mask from Chainsaw Three. Yeah. That, because, you know, I'd stunt doubled RA in a few scenes. And so I had my own mask and kept that. I even kept the Freddy glove. Oh, no way. Because nice. nice. you guys know that <laughs> I wore that Freddy glove in Jason Goes to Hell, right? Yes. When yes. the hand comes out yeah. of the ground and grabs a hockey mask, I kept that glove and there was a piece of the sweater. 
Uh, so I'm drooling yeah. right now. I don't know if you can uh, see, wow. but there's drool. Do you have a room where you keep all these incredible props? Uh, not really. No, oh I think God. it's sometimes. I don't know. At times, I feel like I should display everything, and then other times, it's like, eh, does that look like I'm trying to show off? No, so, you should know. display it. Yeah. Enjoy oh, it. That'd be amazing. Yeah. And then everybody's talking about History. recently. There's been a resurgence of of love and reverence for Jason X. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Is that an experience that you remember fondly going in that wild direction? That is that film. Very. It was, first of all, the longest shooting schedule we've ever, we ever had on one of the Friday movies. I think it might be the longest, even to this day, we shot for 12 weeks on that film and it was in Toronto. And, you know, when I first was given the script, I thought, wow, Jason in space, what? It's a little bit of a stretch. But then I thought, well, you know, I guess it doesn't really matter the setting where Jason is as long as he is consistent. So that's how I approached it, thinking, don't think about the surroundings, just be Jason like you've always been. And uh, it was such a pleasure to work with Jim Isaac. I wish we hadn't lost him. Uh, he was amazing to work with, and the cast was great. The entire cast was Canadian, other than just a couple people. And uh, it, was, uh, it was incredibly satisfying to see these amazing sets because, you know, normally we're in the woods and at a dumpy house or by a lake or something, and now all of a sudden we have these massive spaceship sets and and just the whole the whole process was a pleasure and shortly after that i was given the script for freddy versus jason and told i was doing it so uh we know how that went i actually yeah that's the thing i was told i was doing the film and then replaced so that's worse I never expected just because I had done the previous one that I would do the next one. I was always very happy when they said that, but I never expected it. But when you're told you're doing it, then you tend to expect it. And that uh, didn't work out because I've known Robert from so long ago that Robert England, before either one of us were our characters, we worked together. So it would have been so much fun to to do that film with him. But, you know, who knows? There's been 12 of them. I can't imagine not doing a 13th. Yeah. Recently, Corey Feldman's been talking that he's heard that things with the rights have been cleared up and he would love to have Tommy Jarvis from part four return to face off against Jason in a new film. What are your thoughts about that? And do you see, what oh, do you see I would the future? Love it. I've always thought it would be cool to have anyone that survived in a previous film come back and not survive this time. But I haven't heard that any, anything with the rights has been cleared up. So I'm not sure where he's getting that because seems like a big mess. So, you know, maybe we'll do a, a, another knife corp. The kills that Angus does. And this is really interesting because it's got, that intent and that smoothness behind it, almost instinctual. 
when approaching that side of Angus, what kind of things are going through your head? It's almost like uh, whenever there was a scene like that, I couldn't step into that mode quite easily. At the beginning, I thought, oh, this is just going to be the same thing that I've done a million times. It'll be so easy. But then I thought, well, I don't want it to look too reminiscent of Jason. Maybe a little bit of a referral to something along the character that you've seen in the past, but I wanted it to be a little different. And I'm not sure if I succeeded with that because old habits die hard, you know, when doing the violent scene, it's easy to slip into that groove that you've been into for, for so long, but that part was easy, but the difficult part was just trying to make it a little bit different. This is a character with no makeup and no mask. So I get to use my face for once when I'm doing scenes like that. So it's it, terrifying, it, man. It's extra yeah, terrifying. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then finally you just, just have to mention that also showing up in this movie, Tiffany Shepis and Felisa Rose, and you have this amazing podcast casualty Friday that you do with them. How's that? What's that experience yeah. been like to do that with them? Well, Tiffany and Felisa are just good friends from the convention circuit, from other movies. I mean, they were both in Victor Crowley. I don't know if you remember what I did to Felissa in Victor Crowley, but she unfortunately tried to call for help on her cell phone and I didn't care for that. So I put her cell phone in a different place. <laughs> um, but yeah, they doing the podcast. I never thought I'd do a podcast. First of all, I didn't think I was interesting enough. So having them to uh, play off of and the fact that we have such a history in other films before Victor Crowley, even that they're just so talented and easy to work with. And we just really enjoyed doing the podcast. We, I don't know how many episodes we have now, but it's quite a few and we're going to start doing them together again, hopefully. You know, the last few we've had to do via Zoom and, you know, that's fine, but it's always fun to be in the same room. I'm hoping we uh, continue with that and that, that the, the audience grows and grows because it's just nothing but fun. Congrats yeah. on Knife Corp. Everyone who sees yes. the film will be singing the theme song. <laughs> it's yeah. the best. Yeah. One of the greatest yeah. self-sung theme songs in, in horror history. Dude, congrats yeah. on the film and thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us today, man. It means everything. Thank you guys for uh, even inviting me. I appreciate it. And I'd like to say to all the fans, please take a look at Knife Corp or I'll kill you. <laughs> awesome. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Watch your back <laughs> if you don't do it. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 247. Special thanks to our guest, Kane Hodder. His new film, Knife Corp, is available on digital and VOD now. Production tracks provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it is the Boot Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is
is produced by Lauren Chen, chopped and sliced by Trevor Chen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.